Ahoy hoy, all you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and you are listening to Everybody Trades. And as usual, the financial world is enraptured by what's happening with the price of Bitcoin, and to a lesser extent, really all of cryptocurrencies. But Bitcoin is always the headline, and has always been the headline in my mind. In fact, About a year ago, gosh, more than a year ago at this point, I said when Bitcoin was trading at $10,000 that you must own it as part of a hedge of your portfolio. Now, first of all, if you happen to take my advice there, well, you've still got a nice profit despite the fact that Bitcoin is down nearly 50% from its highs, a high of $60,000 a coin. Now it's trading about, what, $29,000, $30,000 per Bitcoin, but gosh, you've still got a triple there, so you can't be too mad at your old host of Everybody Trades. But my advice remains the same as when it got over $50,000. Again, it is a hedge. We're not totally trying to speculate here, but if you've got that kind of gain, you've got to take something off the table. In fact, I would probably take half off the table of my Bitcoin position, even if I had one Bitcoin or a half a Bitcoin. Well, make your half a Bitcoin into a quarter of a Bitcoin because that's the kind of gain you just don't want to let go. And now that you've sold half for that kind of gain, well, now you can play with the house's money, as we like to say in the stock world. But what if you haven't bought any Bitcoin? What if you've been waiting for a better price point, a better entry point? Well, you might be saying to yourself, hey, here it is. Here's my lower price point. But of course, when it comes to stocks, cryptocurrencies, really any asset class, it's much easier to say, hey, I'm going to buy this thing lower. But then when you see it keep dropping day after day after day, it makes you nervous, doesn't it? You start thinking, gosh, where is the bottom in this thing? Especially on something like Bitcoin, we're not talking about Apple Apple stock, for instance, a company that has a dividend, a company that has actual earnings, a, a real number that you can look at, and a price-to-earnings multiple that you can use to compare it to the rest of the market, for instance. Well, Bitcoin has none of these things. So for an old-school trader, investor like me, it is tough to value exactly where a good entry point is. And if I'm being perfectly honest and, and reasonable Well, although I've obviously made a good call on saying, hey, get in on Bitcoin at 10,000 a year and a half ago or so, uh, at the sort of, I guess, it was about a year ago now that I think about it. It really was about June of this time last year. But before I pat myself on the back too hard and separate my shoulder doing so, it's not as though I was early on Bitcoin. Bitcoin had been around for 10 years before I finally decided to actually dip my toes in the water. And the reason for that is it was just really difficult for me to conceptualize Bitcoin's actual value. Why is a bunch of just ones and zeros, a a good code, for instance, something that, yes, I understand that it's a peer-to-peer exchange of money or perceived money, I guess you could say, a way to exchange something Without a middleman, well, I see the value there. But what's the difference between that and, say, I don't know, using Venmo or PayPal to exchange U.S. dollars? But eventually, so many people 
that I respect, especially in the libertarian movement, became convinced that because of Bitcoin's ability to exchange money for all intents and purposes without a middleman, that eventually, and also the set supply of Bitcoin, that eventually Bitcoin would, you see a lot of people saying, hey, Bitcoin solves this. Well, essentially they're hoping that people will choose Bitcoin and then bring down the Federal Reserve System. Basically, this will be the sound money that we've all been secretly searching for for years. And despite the fact that I'm not a tech guy and I really am still confused about Bitcoin in many ways, obviously a year ago I decided to take the plunge. I decided that, yes, while I don't totally understand Bitcoin, I don't totally understand how a microwave works either, and yet I use one in, on an almost daily basis to quite literally survive, to heat up the food that I need to live. But then there was Richard J. Mayberry, a guy who I have immense respect for, a guy who has as good of a handle on U.S. and world history as anybody I've ever seen. And you can check out his work just by Googling Richard J. Mayberry or going to his website, earlywarningreport.com. But in his recent couple newsletters, Mayberry has called out Bitcoin as just another symptom of tulip mania, another example of tulip mania. In other words, Bitcoin really has no inherent value of any sort. This is just speculation run amok. And you know what? Again, I have so much respect for Richard Mayberry. His sentiments really just stopped me in my tracks and made me think really long and hard about my position on Bitcoin. And I want to get to more of the tulip mania aspect of it. But first, there's one more part of this I want to get to first. And beyond just the mere fact that Bitcoin at the end of the day is just code, it's ones and zeros, right? And I guess in an electrical magnetic pulse or or a massive power outage or, or some other nefarious electronic or hacking attack in theory could take out all the Bitcoin you own. That's a big problem, right? But beyond the technical aspects of it, I have a very essential fundamental money question that I don't know how to answer about Bitcoin. To me, this is the biggest question about Bitcoin that I have no idea how to resolve. So please help me here. And the problem with Bitcoin is that it's non-fungible. And if the libertarians who advocate for Bitcoin, if they're going to be right, if they're going if people are going to voluntarily choose Bitcoin, as their medium of exchange, as their currency, as their store of value, well, it's not going to happen unless Bitcoin becomes fungible. And I just don't see how that happens the way the code is currently written. Again, I'm not a tech expert, but here's what I mean by this. We've all heard about non-fungible tokens lately, right? Well, what does that mean? It mean Non-fungible means that there's only one in the entire world. That is, It is a unique aspect. It is a unique item. For instance, here's how it's explained. A non-fungible token. It's sort of like, okay, you have a a picture of or a video clip of Michael Jordan, an image, a digital image, the only one that exists in the entire world. The only original, that is. So it's sort of like any sort of 
a, a painting, say the Mona Lisa, a, a famous Jackson Pollock, whatever it might be, well, there's only one Mona Lisa. But of course, if, as you're on your way out of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you can buy a copy of the Mona Lisa. But we all know which one has the most value. But when it comes to money, you want money to be fungible. And in fact, that is an absolute requirement of money. It has to be fungible. In other words, every dollar bill is the same, for all intents and purposes, is the same as every other dollar bill on the planet. They are indistinguishable from each other. And one key aspect of fungibility is the ability to trade that dollar or that Bitcoin or that currency for anything. So my dollar can buy me food, it can buy me a movie ticket, it can buy me a microphone, it can buy me a computer, virtually anything you can possibly think of, yes, you can buy it with a dollar. And for the most part, that's true of Bitcoin as well, at least in theory. Now, not every vendor at this moment in time is accepting Bitcoin as payment. But in theory, they could, right? So that level of fungibility is acceptable. And that's really about as far as I took it at first, to be honest with you. But then there was a piece over at Mises.org that again stopped me in my tracks and explained why Bitcoin is indeed not fungible. And that's because despite what a lot of people erroneously believe, Bitcoin is in fact traceable. Every time there is a Bitcoin transaction, there is a permanent digital record that is created of every single Bitcoin transaction. So therefore, every Bitcoin is not the same. If a Bitcoin has a digital record of how the money has been made, who sent the money, all of this sort of stuff, well, that has nothing in common with, say, a $100 bill, right? This is why drug dealers, despite what people on the internet will have you believe, they're not trading the nefarious actors, the black market people. They're still trading in U.S. dollars, people. Because unlike, unlike Bitcoin, the U.S. dollar, truly untraceable. And again, just think about it this way. The concept of blood money. Now, some people will say, hey, I'm not taking blood money, right? But what they really mean is I'm not going to accept direct payment from a mobster or a criminal or something. But in reality, of course, criminals are going to spend money. Their money is going to enter the system. And some of it, we've all at some point held on to a dollar bill that at a previous time had been spent and held on to by a murderer, a rapist, a thief, anything you can possibly imagine. But it's not the dollar bill's fault. But if you think about it, if you had that knowledge, well, suddenly you've got blood bitcoins, don't you? All of a sudden, all these bitcoins, they're going to be tainted. They're going to be biased against because if it's perceived as blood money, well, those bitcoins are going to be less valuable than ones that are not tainted. Therefore, Bitcoins are absolutely non-fungible. And as far as I can tell, everything I know about economics, if you're non-fungible, you absolutely cannot be money. It's impossible. Somebody explain to me how Bitcoin can solve that problem, because to me that seems insolvable. If they can figure it out, then maybe I'll be back on board as far as, hey, maybe Bitcoin really does hashtag solve that. 
Now, when it comes to tulip mania, yes, that period during the 1600s in which the price of tulips in Holland, in some cases, was more expensive than houses. Just the price of tulips went absolutely mad. And if you Google this particular phenomenon, well, you're going to come up with some fairly unsatisfactory answers, in my opinion. Basically, they're going to tell you that tulip mania was the result, whether it's at Wikipedia, Investopedia, any of your sort of mainstream Google outlets, the first answers that particular search engine is going to give you. Tulip mania was just greed and speculation run out of control. But ultimately, to me, it's quite clear that tulip mania was a symptom of currency debasement and manipulation gone awry, and certainly not a disease in and of itself. You see, after the fall of the Byzantine Empire, kingdoms throughout Europe took it as their divine right to mint coins, and virtually all of them abused this power by sweating, clipping, crying coins, essentially taking metal out of coins and counterfeiting for all intents and purposes. And by the way, it's all counterfeiting in my book, whether it's done by an individual or a king. And Charles V, by the way, was as bad as anyone. He made royal decrees upping the value of his silver coins that he held in great in great amount and debasing the silver coins that were also in circulation just with the stroke of a quilled pen. Now, this move caused gold to rise more than 50%, thus allowing Charles V to reclaim some of his waning fortune. But it also caused the Dutch to revolt. And free coinage was a rallying cry and a tenant of this new revolutionary government. In the beginning, the Bank of Amsterdam did not perform a credit function at all and was entirely a deposit bank, meaning that all of its money was backed by 100% specie. So unlike the modern day where government policy is the one who expands the money supply through fractional reserve banking, again, that's the modern tour. What does fractional reserve mean? It means you have a fraction of the amount of gold in your reserves that you've actually promised Whereas at the Bank of Amsterdam, again, at the beginning, as all banks do, this would eventually become untrue. But at the beginning, they were back, they had 100% of the gold that they promised, that they handed out in receipts. So as I said before, all these other areas surrounding Amsterdam, well, they had bad, debased, manipulated currency. So a lot of money and coinage, bullion, all just starts flooding into Amsterdam. And that has, even though Amsterdam wasn't manipulating their currency at the time, well, that had the same effect for all intents and purposes of creating a tremendous new supply of, again, coin and bullion that was flowing into Amsterdam. Then for whatever reason, in the 1600s, tulips became really popular. Hey, they're pretty flowers, right? But they're also apparently difficult to grow. I I don't know. I'm not a gardener. Maybe we figured out how to mass manufacture tulips. But back in the 1630s, apparently there was an art to the growing of tulips, at least in Holland. And because this trend kept getting hot, think think beanie babies. Hey, remember that trend? That, That was ultimately pretty useless as well. 
But essentially, these tulips, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy at a certain point. Obviously, though, this was a symptom of just new money pouring into this one relatively small area of Europe, and just the supply of money was just out of control, quite honestly. And this... The ever-increasing price of tulips, well, the reason people were piling into tulips is because as their money was sort of slowly but surely degrading by that increased supply, well, heck, I'm looking around and seeing the price of tulips keeps going up every month. Maybe I should get into that business and reclaim some of that value. But of course, as what always happens at the end of these manias, the people who get in late end up holding the bag should also be noted another factor that increased the supply of money in Amsterdam. Well, the Spanish, their ships, would often just plunder the East Indies, India, just stealing all their stuff. Well, the Dutch would steal that stolen stuff from the Spanish often when they were passing through, so that increased the supply even more. Just a whole bunch of factors here, but ultimately, the reality is it wasn't greed that caused tulip mania no it's people trying to essentially keep their savings whether it's from you know just various government policies that create a massive influx of supply into one area or it's indeed true manipulation specifically by a government on its own people on its own currency like we usually see all the time in modern days whether it's by the united states government the chinese government Indeed, basically every government throughout our modern world. So long story short, I'm suddenly a lot less certain about Bitcoin than I used to be. I'll just be completely honest with you. The non-fungible aspect of this, the non-fungible aspect of Bitcoin, that point that was made to me again in an article in Mises.org, I don't know how to answer for it. And if that makes you want to sell all your Bitcoin, well, I'm kind of right behind you. I'm sitting on a decent profit, and I've taken taken half off. But at this point, I'm, I don't know. I don't know where Bitcoin's going to go. I'm starting to think the bubble might have popped. But then the other part of me wants to listen to these liberty-minded folks who think, yes, Bitcoin solves this. Yes, eventually people are going to choose this as their currency. But how do you get past the fundamental flaw of Bitcoin, at least from a money perspective if it's non-fungible if it's if it's if it's not anonymous well then what's then how can it really be a true medium of exchange somebody somebody solve that for me because i can't solve it in my own head and you know what with all that being said let's get out of here on this friday afternoon because what the heck it's the weekend and i'm ready to have some fun and not think about money for once maybe i'll just do some spending of my own so until next time i am john miller and this has been everybody trades